Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us, and we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day, and I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events, and uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. To learn of the Lord, amen, on their level, and thank God for the teachers that make the sacrifice, amen, to make it happen, praise God, praise God, amen. We're going to continue on in our series on the way of holiness, and uh, we are uh, in a new portion, we have been on uh, the spirit of holiness, and last week we began the second portion on the setting of a standard, the setting of a standard, and we're going to move forward in that, uh, in the word of the Lord tonight, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 8, and Hebrews 12, 14, and then Isaiah uh, 19 and 19 is going to be our uh, scriptures there that we're going to key off of tonight. Amen. And in highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. Then Hebrews 12 and 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then what we are keying off of along with those two for this particular uh, lesson is in Isaiah 19 and 19. He says, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Amen. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall shall lift up a standard against him. How many believe that tonight, that the Lord will lift up a standard against the enemy? Amen. And so we're going to continue on with our lesson in uh, this portion of the series on the setting of a standard. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the family of God, for being together. I thank you for your presence in this atmosphere. I pray that you would touch every heart and mind, open our understanding to know your word and rightly divide the word of truth, O oh Lord, and let it find root in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I am... Uh, as we jump into this, and we've been on this for several weeks now, I, I want to say um, a, a couple of things. First of all, um, is this: um, when we when we teach about holiness, it's it's because it's in the Bible. Okay, and then let let me also say this: we don't set the standard of holiness; the Bible does, and so we we back up what the Bible says about holiness amen and so that's why we have went so in depth into this series and really we're we're, we're barely just below the surface and where we're going is is really to establish the fact that god's word is right when it comes to being a holy people and having a spirit of holiness and then the setting of a standard amen and uh, so so i i just want to to reinforce that to us that we don't hold the standard the Bible don't hold. We don't teach things the Bible don't teach. Because if the Bible don't teach it, we're not going to teach it. But if the Bible does teach it, we're not just going to teach it. We're going to believe it and we're going to live it. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, we talked about last week how standards could be of great value and uh, how that uh, Paul taught us the importance of, of holding to the doctrine of God's word. And he told Timothy that, um, that we need to hold to that doctrine. And we talked about, uh, we asked the question on why have standards. And then, uh, we read where Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter five, that we are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And we talked about the, the importance of being a contrast to darkness. That is us being light, a contrast from the world, a difference 
from the world, amen. And so a, a, in, in a very simplistic way of putting it will be, if you want to know how the church should be, look at the world and be the opposite. And that in, in the most simplistic terms possible. And, uh, and that's a very generic statement, a very broad brush, but it's, it's that way. We, we don't want their attitude. We don't want their lifestyle, you know, it, because we follow after the word of God. Amen. And the people of God throughout, throughout recorded history in the Bible have, have continuously, one of their struggles have been is to try to blend in with the culture around them. And it would be what quite often would bring God in uh, to judging Israel because whether it was in their worship or bringing in idols into the temple under the sake of saying, well, we just want to be more like these people here. We just want to be like them. And, and everything Jesus did into the, to the, um, Israel, the people of Israel was to establish to them that you're not like everybody else even down to the dietary law that he had for them. He wanted to say, you, you know, you're, you're not like it. You can't eat just anything that you want to eat. Now, I've heard some people say it was because of, you know, parasites and bacteria and all that stuff. Well, maybe there's some truth to that, but if that was the case, um, he would have held that law over into the New Testament. But I think it's far less that it was the value of the dietary cleanliness and more so, uh, that God was establishing to Israel in everything you do, you are not like the people that are around you. That has been a standard from day one from God's people. Amen. And so he, was, he would emphasize to them, you are not like them, so you're not going to partake of the meals they partake of. As a matter of fact, he would say, um, e even your clothing is going to be different where they can blend different types of fabrics. You can't do that. He was just driving that into them. You are different. I want you to be different. Uh, they they were they were just they knew they were different. They 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 didn't eat, you know, catfish. They didn't eat pork. They didn't have all of these other animals that everybody else around them could have. And what was God doing? God was putting it into them that you are a holy people. You are a chosen people. You are a different people. You, you can't, in other words, in the Old Testament, he's saying you, you can't eat at their table and still be mine. You can't partake of their diet and still be mine. You can't wear what they wear and still be mine. You can't have their language and still be mine. You can't worship at their altars and still be mine. God drew a line of division. He drew a line of division. And he said, this is so important that I need you to have the concept that you are different because you are chosen, you are prized, you are valued of God, amen. Now, the trouble we have uh, in, in 2023, and it's not a trouble as in God's in trouble or the word's in trouble, but the trouble we have is in our way of thinking in, in so much that everybody is a law unto themselves in scripture now. And that's why you have, what did you say, over 4,000, Brother Ricardo, you was looking it up, over 4,000 Christian religions in the world. Now, that's just beyond stupid. 4,000 different religions. Amen. That, that's just insane. You know what that tells me? Everybody's looking for it to be done their way. But God has always had one standard, my way, and it's the way of holiness right? He says, I'm holy, be holy. There is a way called holy, walk therein in the way of holiness. So we come along and, and you know, what's amazing is, um, if you go back, uh, 60 years, 50 years, uh, into most denominal groups, they had a level of a standard of holiness. And then and then what they kept doing was moving their standard of holiness closer to the world to try to keep a crowd. And it worked for a while. and Because everything works till it don't work. Right? Everything works till it don't work. The tire stays aired up until it's flat. Right? I know that's a profound revelation. Amen. But everything works till it work, don't work. And, and, so, and so they, they, they moved... 
the goalpost, if you would. They kept saying, well, we, we, we just, you know, we're having a, we're having a, a all kinds of movements in, in the world, and we just need to stay hip to it. We need to stay trend, uh, trendy to it. And they began to, I mean, you go back and read some of uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I mean, he, he would make you feel backslid. Charles Spurgeon. Go, go read some of A.W. Towser. Uh, some of Leonard Ravenhill, who is fairly more recent, I think he died in 89, uh, who was denominal, but was astonished at the amount of worldliness that was moving into Christianity. Because Christianity kept saying, well, that, that's not important to God, and they took that away. And, and surely God doesn't care about that detail in my life, and they took it away. And what they evidently done, eventually done is got to where you, you cannot tell the difference between a, a, a church service and a party. And I'm not talking about in the festivities of it because when we, we're really having church, it is a party. Amen. Um, I, I'm talking about you, you couldn't distinguish between a church service and a ball game or a church service and a concert. And that's not God's design. God's design has always been for his people to be a different people because he's called us to be holy. Peter would write and say, for you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. And he used this term, you are a peculiar people. If we are losing our peculiarity, if we're losing our peculiarity, amen, then we are losing that covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And, and so that's what Jesus said. You're a city set on a hill. And so then people will make the argument and say, well, that was Old Testament. And this is what these um, denominations, I guess 3,999 of them have done, is said, well, you know, that was Old Testament. And, you know, that was so 1960s and so 1940s. I mean, I mean that's just ridiculous. We're not going to live like we've, we We've gotten smarter right and so that's all old testament stuff and and look look at the condition of the denominal world today it's sad L look at how many so-called churches promote same-sex marriage and you you like it or lump it it's the truth and it, the root of it it, it didn't start with the rainbow flag, it started back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s when they said this isn't so important anymore. Because what happens is the thing that use, that is fundamental in the word of God that we say is not important, the next generation comes along and says, well, I'll just move that line to what I think is not important. How, how many churches are, are, are allowing um, the whole... Uh, drag queen thing or they're 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 uh, opening up kegs in the lobby I, I don't know if you've seen that they, they have beer gardens in the church you say that's well aren't you being a little extreme no I, I you probably throw a rock in any direction and hit a church that will have a bible study at a bar so where did how did they get that far well, it was when somebody said, this portion of holiness didn't matter anymore. Or this portion of doctrine didn't matter anymore. And then, then people will suppose and say, and even though it might be well-meaning, they might say, well, pastor, if we hold that, if we do that, if we continue to believe that, what if uh, we don't gain as many people as we want? Well, then the next question for me would be, do we want to build a church or do we want to build a group? Brother Price would ask us quite often as preachers, he would say, are you building a house or are you building a barn? Are you building this kingdom or are you building a barn? Because if it's a barn, you can just let any old thing in you want to let in. But when it's a house, you're a whole lot more selective on what is allowed within the house. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, not I will build my barn. Amen. 
And so the church, we have to be far less worried with what the opinion of people outside the church is about what God has ordained for his church in the inside. Amen. And we're talking about the setting of a standard and, and the way of holiness. Amen. Uh, we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 through 20 last week where Paul said, what know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? You know, I heard Brother Henderson, I was, I was reading um, a Leonard Ravenhill book and he told the story. And of course, Leonard Ravenhill was a Southern Baptist. And uh, he was telling a story about when he walked into a church. I don't, he, I don't think he described where he was at. And he said he, always, he would get there really, really early. And he said he got there and he came around the corner. And uh, I thank God this isn't an issue here. But he said he walked around the back of the church. And there was the entire deacon board along with the usher board. And a bunch of the people in the church were around the back of the church just smoking like freight trains out there. And they walked around, they saw him, and they were like, oh, oh, uh, uh, Brother Ravenhill, oh. Uh. And uh, so he said, no, I just wanted to come in this back door. I heard the prayer rooms back, so he walked in. And uh, I thought this was uh, hilarious. And he walked in, and he said, uh, he got to the pulpit that night, a little later on, he said, I want everybody here who has cigarettes, I want you to pull them out. And boy, everybody's looking around. He said, no, I want you to pull them out, pull them out. So everybody starts pulling their cigarettes. He said, pull one out and put it in your mouth. And he said, people looking around, he, he said that he yelled at him. He said, I screamed. I said, I command you, put that cigarette in your mouth now. He said, man, people started sticking cigarettes in their mouth. He said, now grab your lighter and light it up and smoke. And one of the head deacons jumped up and said, no, sir, Brother Ravenhill, we ain't going to smoke in the house of God. He said, you just were an hour ago. Why do you reverence this place more than you reverence this temple? Because really, this is the meeting place of the saints. But this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, hear him tell it. They had a revival that night and cigarettes were put on the altars and there was a great deliverance that night. Amen. Um, but, but I marvel at the people that think, that think that God wants it here but not out there. Oh, that's just, that's just, you know, we do that to go to church because that's the house of God. Well, Paul said this is the house of God which is in you, the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body, amen. And so let, let, me, let me just say it like this. If it's not appropriate here, it's not appropriate there. Because if it's not appropriate here, Brothers and sisters, it's not appropriate here. Amen. Praise God. I see people walking into churches. Man, 30 years ago, them church mothers wouldn't have let them walk in the building looking like that. I said, have some respect. But we've lost that. We've allowed, we've allowed carnality. We've allowed sin. We've allowed the world to determine what is acceptable in the house of God? And I mean in this house of God. Amen? Say, Pastor, I think you might be pushing a little too far. No, if you wouldn't watch it in here, you probably shouldn't watch it here. If you wouldn't turn it up and listen to it in here, you probably shouldn't listen to it in here. Amen. I know it's just old-fashioned. Just... Boring old backwoods cornbread Bible teaching, but I guess what? It's going to save your soul. Amen. If it's not appropriate for the house of God, it's not appropriate for us. Amen. I, 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 where I grew up, man, people wouldn't, uh, 
people wouldn't cuss on church property. They'd walk across the street and cuss, but they wouldn't do it on church property. They wouldn't smoke on church property, wouldn't dip on church property. You'd see them at a funeral. They'd walk out of the funeral, man, every one of them jonesing for a cigarette, and they'd run across the street, and they'd all huddle around a tree and just be over there. They wouldn't do it on church property. And, and, and I'm amazed at the amount of people that are supposedly saved that think that as long as they do it here, then, then we've paid our penance to the Lord, and out there, it doesn't matter. This is the house of God. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, amen? Why? Because it identifies us as being disciples of Christ. Now, let's pick up uh, here. Standards represent, in one sense, standards represent warfare, amen? It, it, it determines which side you're on. Standards are set up as a declaration of war. Standards are our military's insignia or flags, Although the enemy is coming up against us in a flood of immorality and humanism, perversion, divorce, abortion, witchcraft, idolatry, the church does not have to sit passively and idly by and just let the world do that. We have a standard that we can lift, and that standard is Jesus Christ. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, Isaiah 19 and 19, the Lord said, I will lift up a standard against it. Amen? Amen? Although the world and sin may become darker, the church has got to be the contrast to the world. We can't be dark-ish or light-ish. You're either dark or light. Amen. Remember, there's the three things you're never kind of. You remember what they are? Remember, never kind of married, you're never kind of pregnant, and you're never kind of saved. Amen. You either is or you ain't. So you're either light or you're not light. Right? And so we've got to not be afraid to raise the banner and the standard of Jesus Christ high and say, I belong to the Lord. I belong to Jesus. I am a part of the kingdom of the living God. Amen? What a banner for righteousness that Joshua and Caleb were as they stood before the entire camp of the Israelites. What a banner that the three Hebrew children were as they were in the fiery furnace, if you would, lifting up that banner. David stood alone before Goliath. He stood there as a standard. He stood there as a difference between uh, uh, those in covenant and those not in covenant. Noah stood alone by his ark. And he trusted God and he built that ark by the specifications of God's word. And he was that standard for that generation. Amen. All these things were banners of truth waving high before the world. Standards represent quality. Standards represent quality. A young princess, the story goes, a young princess of England was once being directed by her nurse to discipline herself. And the snotty little princess replied back, I don't have to do that. I'm the princess. And the nurse wisely replied and said, that is exactly why you must do that. We need to remember who we are. We are the children of the Most High God. It's not that I don't have to do that. It's who I represent. And I want to be holy, even as he is holy. Amen? The church is a spectacle to the world. Its life is like a, a theater stage upon which we pass but once. And Christians are on display on that stage, showing the quality of a God-lived life and how God lives in us and through us. And if for no other reason we should raise that standard high is to let people know that there is hope in this life and there is hope in the next life because Jesus can redeem us from his, our sins. Amen. God has adopted us into his family. It's not just any family. Romans 8, 15, 1 Peter 2 and 9 tells us that it is a royal family. We are part of the, the royalty of God, and we should gladly bear the standard of being a royal family in God. And through this, we allow the world not only to see our distinction and separation, but also the high quality of life that has been given to us by our Father, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Everything God does in our life is for good. You believe that? 
Everything God does in our life is good for good. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for all things work together, what? For the good. Amen. And that good is for the purpose of transforming us into his character because he desires to see the highest quality of Christian life produced in us. The standard of quality is apparent through the Christian's life, through the Christian's character. We don't have the character of the world. Our yeas are yeas and our nays are nays. Amen. We're, we're not shady in our business practices. Right? We're, we're not dishonest in our dealing with people because we are children of the light. Praise God. And that's what we should be. We should be a reflection of the king of kings in our lives. Every policeman wears a uniform that looks like the others worn by the other men and women in that same department. All the United States postmen have the same familiar dress. They're easily identifiable, right? Have you ever confused a postman with a McDonald's worker? Have you ever confused a policeman with a construction worker? No. They are distinguished. Each time you see this kind of uniform person, you realize that they are not the department in whole, but they are a representative of it in the fact that they are uniformly put together. When you see our military, amen, when you see one soldier, you didn't see all of the army, but you saw the army represented in that one soldier. This is exactly what holiness is in the life of a believer. It's not all of God that can be shown uh, through us and all of God in us, but what it is is we are a representation of the kingdom of God to our world, amen? And so no matter what it is, no matter if it's our character, our lifestyle choices, our standards of dress, something we speak, amen, the way we live, the people we fellowship with, amen, what this represents is I am representing the kingdom of God, amen. I am raising a standard. This doesn't mean that all Christians should wear the same uniform. It doesn't mean that all men are going to get fitted for the same shirts and pants and shoes and we're all going to comb our hair the same way. And that's not what that means. What it means is we need the spirit of holiness working in us to where people can easily distinguish us from those who are unsaved to those who do not have light. Amen. But there cannot be a united endeavor without discipline, direction, order, and authority. This is a day which many do which is right in their own eyes. Many are dishonest and, and fully willing to break the law. A rebellious generation without a moral code is, is dominating our society right now. It's, it's do as you feel, do as you want, do as you please. But that's not, that's not the way the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is do as he wants, do as he pleases, do what he says is right. Amen? Because that's the idea of holiness. Praise God. And so it brings us to the next question on which I'm going to try to uh, kind of wrap up on tonight is the question is where do standards come from? Okay, standards are important. So where do standards come from? Standards when set arbitrarily can cause confusion and division in the body of Christ. And so we need to find out what they are and where they come from. Sincere people who desire to conform to the right models and ideas of the church can be hurt and lose their direction. To avoid such confusion, it is important that we understand how standards should be set. There are actually several methods that God uses to set his standard. Amen. Um, we, in the first standard that we see set in the Bible, and I've mentioned this before, is the standard that was set in the Garden of Eden. That was the first God standard, and if you would, man or church standard. Now, God told Adam before Eve even was created, he said, you see all of this, it's yours. There's only one thing you can't do. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many remember that story? And so then uh, Eve comes along and uh, she's there and Adam is giving her the tour. And he is saying, this, all of this is ours. We can have whatever we want. We can, you know, pretty much we got, we got free reign now. Now, um, we're going to have to tend this and maintain it. But, you know, we, we, you want bananas? We got plenty of bananas. You want passion fruit? We got passion fruit. Peaches, plums, we got, we got whatever you want. And um, I can see Eve 
looks over there because women have an eye for the finer things in life. The, 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 the things, you know, we would never at, look at twice. And she looks at, well, look at that tree. And I believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't believe it was some dark, mystic, you know, weird-looking tree. I think it was a beautiful and a very attractive tree. And Eve looked at that tree, and she said, um, what about that? When are we going to go over there and eat? And the reply of Adam was this. Well, uh, here's the thing. And there's always the thing, right? So here's the thing. We can have whatever we want in this place. We can eat what we want. We're free to do whatever we want. But that tree, you can't even touch that tree. Now, that's not what God said. God said, Adam, don't eat of the tree. Adam, being a wise man, made in the image of God, used his discernment and set the first standard by saying to his wife, we can't touch the tree. Why? Because if it's not fit to eat, it's not fit to touch. You don't eat things without first touching them unless you're weird if you go to the you go to mcdonald's and tie your hands behind your back and eat your big mac have at it if that's what you want to do if you get a pork chop and just plant your face in the table and just start shaking that thing like a rabid dog you go right ahead but but most of us if not all of us we touch the food to eat it and so Adam, why, uh, Adam wisely discerned that if God does not want us to eat of this fruit, then I am going to protect my wife by putting her that much further away from temptation and saying, don't touch the fruit. That's, that's one of the first standards. That's the first standard we see in the Bible. The next standard you're going to see in the Bible, y'all with me on this? The next standard you're going to see in the Bible is when God tells Moses, I'm fixing to kill every one of these suckers. And, God, and Moses said, oh, God, don't kill them. You remember, you love these people. You delivered them out of Egypt. God said, back up. I'm fixing to zap every one of them right now. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Stand back, Moses. We'll start all over again. And the Bible said Moses interceded for the people. And, he, and, and pleaded with God, don't kill them. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw a line around the mountain that's going to separate the mountain from the valley. And anybody who crosses over that line, I will kill them when you come up to fellowship with me. Notice God did not tell Moses where to draw the line. He just told Moses, Moses, you draw the line and I'll back it up. Moses, to my knowledge, he didn't go to university to learn what the geological features of a valley was. Moses just grabbed a stick, put it in the dirt and started walking. And he drew the line and he told the people, God said, this is the line. I've got to go up the mountain and talk with the Lord. And, and if you cross this line, there's going to be judgment for it. Now, what's the point? The point is simply this. That was a standard. That was, that was a line that was drawn. And God allowed Moses to use his spirit and wisdom to be able to draw that line. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that's Old Testament. What do you got for New Testament? Throw some New Testament at me or I'm not going to believe it as if, you know, if we got to have it in both to make it valid. Okay. Jesus is getting out of the boat and they're all coming out of the little boat and they're probably waist deep in the, the swells of Caesarea Philippi. They all have a rope and they're pulling the boat onto the somewhat rocky and pristine shores of Caesarea Philippi. And as they're pulling and grunting under the load of that boat, dodging 
the waves that are coming in, trying not to get sucked back out into the surf. Jesus takes this moment to look at his disciples and say, who do men say that I am? They started responding. Well, some say you're Elias. Some say you're John the Baptist. I, I was just down at Walmart and I heard, you know, my cousin Bubba say this about you. And then I, then I was down at Whole Foods and, and, and I heard my Aunt Betty say this about you. And they're all saying, and then Jesus stops in that moment as the boat is being snugly pulled upon the shore and he looks at Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter didn't hesitate. And we know it wasn't Peter's own wisdom because Jesus would say that flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him. But a surge of anointing hit that fisherman. When a bold proclamation of the lordship of Jesus Christ roared out of that man and he said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. It was a powerful moment. The other 11 froze in their tracks. To have that said had not yet been uttered in those words. It was a proclamation to remove all doubt that not only was this man the Messiah, but that he was God incarnate. Jesus stepped back with a smile and said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say, he said, and, and I, he said, and thou art Peter. He said, but I say unto thee, Simon Barjona, thou shalt not be called, or Simon Barjona, you shall not be called Peter or Petros, which means fragment of a rock. That some people misinterpret it, say it means a pebble. It means a fragment of a rock. He said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And this is where the Catholics miss it. They think Peter is the rock and they built the whole church on, on Peter. And you go over to St. Peter's Basilica and they got a statue of him. And they go there all day, all day long. They start kissing him on his foot. And if Peter came alive on that statue, he couldn't, he'd just be dragging his foot because everybody kissed his toes off. But it wasn't, it wasn't Peter per se that the church was going to be built on. It was on that revelation that Peter just had. In other words, Jesus said, Peter, now that you know who I am, let me take the time to tell you now who you are. You're not going to be Simon Barjona anymore. You're going to be a fragment of the rock. And of that rock is where I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? Peter? No. No, he was, he was the one to proclaim the first message at Pentecost. But the rock is the eternal oneness of God, that there is only one God, and Jesus is his name. That revelation never shifts. There's not an eternal son that is eternally with God the Father from the beginning, a separate being. There is not three co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent gods in a triune Godhead. There is one God. And it was on that revelation that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Now watch this. Because Peter got the revelation, did Jesus stop there? Did he say, all right, we're done, boys. We're going to go eat some fish and, and crackers. No, he didn't. It, he only just got started. It was like Jesus was so, so wound up in anointing that he looked at Peter and he said, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's powerful. Now watch this part. And I say also unto thee that whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth will be found in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on the earth, I will loose in heaven. Wow. I mean, that's pretty profound. I mean, we just casually read that. I know we're going through our program, just read the scripture, read it. That was a, that was a profound statement. 
that Peter, whatever you decide should be bound here on earth, I'll go ahead and bind it in heaven. And Peter, whatever you think should be loosed on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. What was Jesus doing? He was giving Peter the same license he gave Moses and the same license he gave Adam. I'm going to give you an apostolic authority because not everything is going to be the same in every culture, Peter. You're going to have to go preach into the Gentiles. And there are some things you're going to need to bind in the Gentile culture. But if you'll bind it on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. And if you'll loose it on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. Do you get, you get that? That's, that? That's a whole lot more than just a shouty song or a feel-good verse. And it is. There's plenty of reason to shout about it. So here comes Peter. God says to him in a vision, lets down a, a net. He says, all right, see all these unclean animals? Get up and kill them and eat them. And Peter was indignant. Boy, wasn't he? He was angry. He was so self-righteous too. I mean, he tugged at his lapels and said, I would never. I have. And then Jesus rebukes him. Who are you to tell me what I've created is unclean? Rise, slay, and eat. And all of a sudden, something began to shift in Peter's mind. And his mind began to go back to the dusty land and the sandy shores of Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. Amen. And so Simon Peter, Simon Peter starts stepping into Gentile nations to where nobody thought they could receive the Holy Ghost. You, you remember that in Acts where the Bible said they have the circumcision, the Jews were astonished that the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost? Remember it said they were astonished? That's a pretty big Greek word. There's not a lot of Greek words for surprise. They were astonished. Why? Because Gentiles received the Holy Ghost. How'd they know they'd received the Holy Ghost? The Bible said they heard them speak with tongues as we did. And then Simon Peter began to go preach in Gentile nations. Are you ready for this? I'm going to close on this. I'm going to show you in the New Testament. Then as the Gentiles started being reached, there was a group among the Gentiles that said, we've received the Holy Ghost, Sister Priscilla. We've been baptized in Jesus' name. That's all we need to do. We can continue to go to temple to our pagan gods. We can continue to live in outside of wedlock with, with whomever we choose. We can continue to act like we want to act, look like we want to look, be like we want to do. We, 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 that's what you saw in 1st, 2nd Corinthians. They were, they were, not, they were not yielding their members. Their, they were not yielding their bodies. You're following this? They're not making their bodies a temple of the Holy Ghost. They just received the Holy Ghost. They went wild. I mean, Paul writes and says, I heard there's fornication among you. Man, we got a really weird idea of how they, we think Paul was just white gloves and, and just didn't, I mean, he went in there like a sledgehammer, calling things out, calling people out in the letter. And that letter was read through all the churches of Corinth. I mean, he's dealing with all kinds of stuff. Incest in the church. Fornication in the church, idolatry in the church, witchcraft in the church. He's dealing with all kinds of stuff and he's calling them out. And they were saying, but leave us alone. We've now accepted Christ. We've been baptized. We've been filled with the Spirit. Leave us alone. We're going to continue to live in our culture. Leave my culture alone. I'm telling you, it's tight. But I'm so up in the Holy Ghost right now, I'm about to elbow drop this. Your culture stops where the Word of God starts. 
Well, in my culture, we do this. If it's against the word of God, you stop it. And that's just the way it is. Hey, some cultures used to eat their babies. You're going to keep doing that in the name of Jesus? Some cultures for sport used to beat women to death. You're going to keep doing that? Some cultures drink the blood of their own family members when they died. You're going to keep doing that? Well, God knows my, yeah, he knows your culture. That's why he came in flesh and died to save us from those things that are sin. Amen. Well, I mean, I could pull that card if I wanted to, you know. I'm Scots, Irish, and German. My culture is we're drunks. You know, our family motto was, you know, my mom was Irish and Scots, Irish, and my dad, German. Our motto was, don't ever make us mad, especially around beer. <laughs> right? I mean, someone said, well, that's my culture, you know. No. Culture has to yield to where the kingdom says no. The American culture has to yield where the kingdom says no. And so you had two factions, and I, 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 I'm almost done. You had two factions that were fighting. You had the one that said, we just do whatever we want to. This is who we are. Don't mess with who we are. And you had the other one over here that were the Judaizers, and they were saying, you're, you're all damnable. You're all just filth. If you want to be saved, all your men must be circumcised. You must come under the dietary law, and you must start going to temple. She had two huge factions fighting. Boom. I mean, they were clashing in the early church. Like, which way do we go? Do we go out here where it's just follow the basics of uh, Acts 2.38 salvation and just do whatever you want? Or do we, do, we, do we go way over here where it's all about going back up under the law of Moses? But you see, Jesus had foresaw this. And this is where the wisdom of him saying, I'll, Peter, what you bind on earth. And it wasn't just to Peter. It was, it was to the apostolic governmental order of the church. In the church government, I will give you the authority to draw lines on earth and I will draw them in heaven as long as they're based on the word of God. Amen. Where do you think we get standards from? You think we called up St. Louis and asked the UPC to send us some standards? No, they come from the word of God. Hello, Brother Bernard, we're running out of standards. Can you please send us some standards over here? Make sure you get the old ones that make people mad. No, they come out of the word of God. Amen. I told you we're going to go deep in this. And I'm telling you, we, we haven't even gotten to where your ears pop yet. We're just in the uncomfortable phase. You better learn how to hold your nose and push out. Because this is, this is the word of God. And if it weren't important to God, he wouldn't have put it in his word. And this is where we are. Now listen, I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is where we are in, in, in the church world. Where people are, I'm going to say naive enough because it sounds a lot better than dumb. They're naive enough to think if the Bible doesn't spell the word out by the letter, then God wasn't talking about it. You, you, you know, you'll hear, them, you'll hear them in church. They're not churches. They're synagogues of Satan. They'll get say, well, you know, the New Testament says nothing about same-sex marriage. Have you not read Romans? Hello? Well, Jesus didn't teach against it. Does he have to teach against everything by the word? Or is he not the word incarnate which included everything in the Old Testament? I use this one all the time. This usually, this usually people that are ignorant of scripture that try to take that argument, this is where they start stuttering. Do, 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 when I do this one. Nothing in the New Testament says you can't have sex with an animal. Bestiality is not outlawed in the New Testament. 
That's why I took my glasses off. I didn't want to see your reaction. <laughs> it's not outlawed in the New Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you can't, you know, go down to the, you know, the adoption, pet adoption agency and find yourself a mate. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you can't do that. But it is in the Old Testament. Did God all of a sudden change his mind about human-animal relationships? No. He just went, you know, there's something I would expect a spirit-filled person to realize is a continuum of what was established in the core of his kingdom. And so we have people that are naive enough to go, well, the Bible doesn't specifically... There's nothing in the New Testament that says I can't run you over with my truck after church. It's, it's not there. There's nothing about a Dodge Ram 1500 Eco Diesel running you over in the New Testament. And you think, oh, you're just being facetious. This is the spirit a lot of people have. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you can't go on to pornography websites. You want to know why? Shocker, hold on, don't faint. The internet's not in the New Testament. But the spirit of it is. The spirit of it is. When Jesus says, if you look to lust, you've already committed adultery. Right? So, I, I, I can see some of you are waiting for me to clear up the whole bestiality thing. Yeah, it's in Romans 2. It says, leaving natural affections. That it was also talking about women going for women and men going for men. And it meant any affection that was unnatural that God had not created. So, the letter of it. There's nothing in that. It says, I can't run you over with my truck. By the letter. Nothing. But what it does say is that I can't commit murder or commit harm. Right? So am I wrong for telling you, don't run me over with your truck tonight? Am I wrong for saying, if I tell you that if you run him over today, you see him going across the parking lot and you rev up that engine and say, I can't stand Jared. I don't like him. I don't like his hair. I don't like his shoes. I don't like anything about him. And just run him over. And if I tell you you were to do that and to kill him in the process, hurt him in the process, offend him in the process, and you died, would I be wrong for saying he'd go to hell for it? No. It's in the book. It just didn't spell out what vehicle. It just said the whole act. Folks, there are stands we take not because we are a Pentecostal church or United Pentecostal church. We take them because the Bible took them. And we back them up. And let me just say this. Not everybody's got to agree with it. Because here's the shocker. Lean over on somebody. Don't pass out. Not everybody will. But what we don't do is go, oh, you know what? We need, we need to reevaluate this. Maybe, maybe we ought to change some things. Because then God will go, let me change some things. I'll lift it off you, and I'll put it on somebody else. Amen. I remember, uh, I remember when they taught against TV growing up. I said I was done. I, I am done. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling something here. I remember when they taught against TV growing up. And, and you know where they made the biggest mistake? And I think they were right in principle. I really do. I think they were right in principle. Our, 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 our fathers and, and forefathers saw something coming down the road that we didn't see. I think they were, they were now pretty ridiculous to preach against. You get it on your phone. You get what I'm saying? I, I remember people that had TVs in the church hit them in the closet. I'm not kidding. And we're not talking about, you know, like bad movies either. We're talking about like Barney Five and all that stuff. And, hey, my grandma didn't let us play card games. 
We couldn't play go fish. We couldn't play pinochle. We couldn't play spades. We couldn't play. We had to go do that in the, in, in the backyard with the neighbor's deck of cards. My, my grandma beat the skin off of us. No, yep, no dice. Nothing that was a game of risk. However, she was okay with us playing football. I don't understand that anyway. <laughs> I think because she knew it would knock some sense into us. M- my point is this. What, what our church father said was, you can't regulate what's coming in, right? And then it got, and then, then they took a more, I guess, somewhat of a more balanced approach. Say, then you, because when videos started coming out, it wasn't just unfiltered sewage just coming in. They said, well, you need to be selective about the videos you have, right? Well, now it's, it's on your phone. I mean, you can get anything on your phone. Were they wrong? No, because the spirit of what they were teaching was right there. The problem is that a lot of them taught against the technology and not the spirit behind it. They said the box was wrong. There was nothing wrong with the box. What was wrong was what was coming through it. Are you, are you following me so far? We, we've got to uphold the standard of what the spirit of God's word is telling us to live holy, to be holy, to be different. Amen. And, and, and now it's just, you know, it's kind of an un, unfiltered mess that comes through your phone. It's just, it's unbelievable. If I were to wake my, my pastor who died in 1996, if I were to wake him up out of his grave right now and, and show him this phone and tell him what all I could access on this phone, he'd say, put me back in the box. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So holiness doesn't say get rid of your phone. Holiness says you better have a close enough walk with God that you can control what comes through it. Does that make sense? Because none of the Bible says I can't have a phone. Nothing. But it does say I better not said any evil thing before my eyes. And I better guard my spirit. Amen. Does that make sense tonight? This is the setting of a standard. And we have a church standard, but you got to set a standard for yourself. you got to be willing to draw the line yourself and say, Mm-mm, this, no, I'm not doing this. This is not coming in my home. I'm not, not going to participate in that. Because that's raising that's raising a standard, amen? Praise God. I, I remember for many years, for many years, and, and I, I, I've, you know, the Apostolic Church, we've always taught against alcohol. We've always taught against tobacco usage. We always have. And people thought, you know, some of the, some of the denominations back then, you know, it smoked their pipe or whatever. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and then we find out it's poison. Right? Oh, smoking's not that bad. Well, why don't you try that and try to get life insurance or health insurance? Well, you can get life insurance. No, you're going to die of cancer, right? Even though they didn't know the harmful effects of it way back then, they knew the spirit and the intent of it. And while there was nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smoke Marlboro Reds, the Bible does say, your temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And don't defile the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? I hope you're getting something out of this. Amen. And here, here's what I learned a long, long, long time ago. I am covered in this stuff called flesh. Anybody else covered in that stuff? If you're not, whoo, we got issues tonight. I'm covered in this stuff called flesh. And this flesh never wants to be holy. And this flesh, let me tell you something about this flesh. It hates God's word. This flesh is God's enemy. Romans 8 said, for the flesh is enmity against God. 
flesh doesn't want to submit. That's why you got to go on a fast every once in a while. Put flesh in check. This flesh will always try to find a way around and a way out. But you got to bring your flesh to the altar and say, okay, God, if it's in your word, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't, I don't care what my, my family member five states away says. I don't, I don't care what the church across town or on TV says. I care what your word says. And I'm going to follow your word. Because as for me and my house, we're still going to serve the Lord. And we're going to follow. Now that I'm saved, I'm a part of a different culture. I'm not in the Scots-Irish-German culture. I'm not even in the American culture. I am in the kingdom culture. I've been born into a new kingdom. I've got a new king. I have a new father. I've got new spiritual DNA. And I am going to walk different, talk different, be different, not just for the sake of just being obstinate, but just because that's what God has called me to be, is to lift a standard for who he is in the world. I'm his example in this world. I'm his emissary. Paul said we are his ambassadors in this world. Amen? That's what we have to be. Praise God. Amen. I told you we're going to go deep. We're doing a lot of studying. Amen. Next week, we're going to conclude this portion of raising a standard, and then we're going to go even deeper in the Word of God. I don't want to just throw it at you. And I'm going to tell you this, too. I'm not ashamed to teach this. Other pastors, are, they, they, they'll, they'll sneak around and do it once a year in a, in a quiet little room, hope nobody finds out. No, we're the church of the living God. I'm going to stand with this word because I'm going to be judged by this word. We're not, we're not going to, you know, it's one thing you're not going to be able to walk out of here and say, I didn't hear that taught in the church. No, we're, we're supposed to teach it in the church. And shame on any pastor that won't. I don't care who they are, how old they are, how rich they are. It doesn't matter. We've got to teach the whole counsel of God. And there's a trend in modern day Pentecostalism that, well, just relegate it to a classroom once a year. We'll do it real quiet. We don't want to, we don't want to run people up. God's word does not run people off. Listen to me. Carnality runs people off. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching the truth. God's word never runs people off. People's resist their carnality will run from God's word when it's unsubmitted. Amen. You say, well, pastor, well, I don't think we need to teach this if we want a bigger church. Well, we won't get a bigger church. You'll get a bigger crowd. There's a big difference. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I want to raise my family in a truth-preaching church. I want to stand before God holy. I want to stand before God and said, I lived it. I believed it. I taught it. I walked it. I breathed it. I, I, I decided to come out from among them and separate myself and say, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord right now for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this church family. I thank you, Lord, for those who have dedicated and committed their lives in this church, oh God, to serve you and to follow you. And Lord, we know that your word is right. We know that your word is truth. We know, Lord, that your word has called us to walk in the way of holiness. And Lord, that this is not some Pentecostalism. This is not some apostolic teaching, but this is Bible teaching, Lord. You are calling all of us to be this way, to walk with you in, in fellowship and in unity, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to stir within us, Lord, the desire to walk in holiness, the desire, Lord, to become more like you. Help us be able to resist our flesh. Help us be able, oh God, to turn away from the, the, the compromising uh, nature of our flesh that will always want to bow to the lesser parts, oh God. I pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit to walk in the beauty of holiness, oh Lord, to walk in the light that you have called us to be a city set up on a hill that cannot be hid. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Lord, for those who are walking in dedication to you. And Lord, I thank you in advance for the many souls that are on their way this direction. They're walking to the light. They're walking out of darkness right now. We may not have even have met them yet, but there are many, many souls in this city 
city that are making their way to the light. They're tired of dead religion. They're tired of compromising religion. Lord, they want the truth. Help us to be that light that you've called us to be. Help us to be that city that is set up on a hill that cannot be hid. Help us, oh God, walk in that light. Help us, oh God, to be the representative and the ambassador of your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we thank him for that right now? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Tell somebody you love them before you leave. Be here Thursday night. We're going to have, I'm telling you, last Thursday night, we had the greatest breakthrough we've had in a prayer service. You need to be here. Somebody can get healed on Thursday night. Be here for a great time of prayer. Tell somebody you love them before you leave. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.